going deep. I feel like Kalo on the Miami Heat. The words I speak off this sheet are like a three-peat. I don't just hop on a track. I bring running cleats. I'm a player for real, more than an athlete. Let my mama tell it. Could have ran for the Senate. Instead, I penned it for Donovan Bennett. I'm cemented. This a deep dive. In your headphones or a long drive. Up close and personal, just like you courtside. They ain't no out of bounds here. No offsides. We going live in one, two, three, four, five. You are now tuned in to Going Deep with Donovan Bennett. That's right, it is the Going Deep podcast, and the name is somewhat self-evident. We go deep on topics, but also, let's be honest, I'm a football guy. Played the sport, it is my second language, if you will, but this time of year for me on the sports calendar is second to none. In Canada, we start to hand out hardware in Canadian football at the U Sports level, that means the UTech Bowl and Mitchell Bowl leading up to the Vanier Cup. And at the professional level, that means the Grey Cup. Biggest piece of Canadiana you can find where people from all across our country descend on one city to watch the last CFL game of the year. And this year, two totally different teams. The Montreal Alouettes, who used to be the CFL dynasty, but have fallen on harder times. New ownership, new coach, new quarterback. New lease on life. They're back in the Great Cup for the first time in over a decade. And the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, who are the proverbial dynasty, if you will. Remember, they won a chip, then lost a year due to COVID, and have won, except for last year where they lost to the Toronto Argonauts in the Great Cup. But now with another appearance in the big game, what does that mean for the legacy of the franchise and the legacy of their quarterback? Well, who else would be able to answer that than our resident quarterback, Justin Dunn? Let's go deep with Jay Dunk, whose work you have found before for a long time at Three Down Nation, but now of late at the Believe Network, where he's breaking down all things Duval, Nathan Rourke, and the Jacksonville Jaguars. But today... Let's keep it 100 on the CFL. So we are back. Great Cup week once again, Justin Dunk. And it has become the Winnipeg Blue Bombers Invitational. Uh, first team to go to four straight <laughs> Great Cups since Edmonton wins five in a row in 78 to 82. I would argue that this team would have won five in a row if it's not for COVID because uh, they were set up to repeat um, when we lost a year. But for you... Outside of your former Guelph Griffins head coach being the leader of said dynasty and Kyle Walters, what sticks out to you about this Winnipeg Blue Bombers run? It's a handful of guys, and it starts after Kyle Walters with Mike O'Shea. But I think actually O'Shea should be given the credit for leading the way with this team because of the way he sets the culture. You know, you talk to people around the league, and they'll tell you, about how O'Shea approaches training camp and who he's going to cut and who he's going to keep on his team. And it's not just purely about being the best football player. That obviously does weigh into it. But he literally sits with these guys throughout training camp and gets to know them as much as possible as a person because he wants to calculate in his own mind how that's going to potentially affect his locker room culture that he holds so near and dear. And I think that's the real reason that Winnipeg has gone to four straight great cups. And 
Zach Kolaris setting the tone for this team as a leader. He hasn't played very well in the playoffs since 2019 when this run started, averaging 202 yards per game, six touchdowns, seven interceptions in all the playoff games he's been through with the Bombers. But that leadership, I think, has been so critical. And then on defense, the mainstay has been Willie Jefferson. He's such a disruptor. He gets after the passer. He shows up in the biggest games of this season. Yes, Adam Bighill's been there for a while. His status is in doubt for this game after a lower body injury in the West Final. And there are some other guys that have been around for a while. But I really think it's driven by those three main individuals on the field on game day. Well, let's talk about the queue in Zach because he's the first QB to go to four straight gray cups. If you say anything bad about him or even neutral about him online, the blue bombers faithful will come for your neck. (laughs) I don't believe that he should have been in the MOP conversation, but I do believe if they are able to do this and win this gray cup, he should be on that Mount Rushmore with Dickinson and Calvillo and Allen and Ray and Flutie and and Moon is is that is that hyperbolic or is that real? Well, I think it's real, man. And even though a lot of the media that's been around the CFL longer than you and I don't necessarily want to admit it or give Claros that time of credit. Ryan Dinwiddie told me this year that he believes Caleros is playing at a Doug Flutie type of level. And also there's some similarities in their games. Caleros doesn't run as much as Flutie did, but what he does for this team outside of the pocket when protection breaks down or he needs to escape and extend plays to allow his receivers to get over was a real driving force for this team, especially last year. And I think he's even done that at times this year. He's not going to run the ball and take a lot of hits with the concussion history that he's had. But I do believe that if he gets a win and is the main leader on this team, winning three of four great cups, and it was you know oh so close to being them potentially going for four in a row this year, but still three out of four would put him on that Mount Rushmore of the elite of the elite quarterbacks in CFL history. I think one of the signs that this game has changed from when we were playing it to now is the X factor, the key player in the Grey Cup might be a Canadian running back. And when we were coming out, you're a Canadian running back? Well, have fun on special teams. <laughs> and, you know, Andre Dury changed that a little bit, but he had to change positions. Jesse Lumsden changed that a little bit, but really he had to get a look in the NFL for the CFL to give him a long look. And even still, he had to have essentially a Canadian coach who had coached him. Uh, give him co-sign to, to make him potentially an every down back. Now the passport at that position does not seem to matter. When you look at what Brady has done, what quite frankly, that high school has done as Andrew Harris hangs up the cleats and, and, and Brady uh, is going for some awards and another great cup. Uh, what's, what sticks out to you about how quickly that, position has changed in the CFL from a Canadian perspective? You know, it's about damn time, my man, because I think you could say something somewhat similar for the Canadian quarterback position. We could save that for another conversation because I think this is well warranted with the Canadian running back conversation right now. Brady Oliveira has been a driving force to continue to 
get CFL teams to reimagine how they can go about this. And the Blue Bombers have shown, you mentioned it with Harris there, signing him as a free agent and then developing the next guy. They drafted Johnny Augustine from the University of Guelph as well, or maybe signed him as an undrafted free agent and had him in the stable there. And we saw the Argonauts do this with Daniel Adeboboye, who was a talented running back that they selected in the draft this year as a guy who could potentially be a feature back down the road with Andrew Harris hanging the cleats up. Obviously, A.J. Olette's an American there in Toronto, but what Brady Oliveira has done this season is absolutely special. The second-best rushing season by a Canadian, the only other one to have more rushing yards in the regular season was John Cornish when he won the MLP award in 2013. But Oliveira has more total yards from scrimmage than Cornish did in that year, going over 2,000 on the year. And it's intriguing to see how quickly Oliveira has made this star rise, let's say, because he wasn't this good last year on a team that went to the Grey Cup. He was still developing, kind of finding his way and earning that number one job. But now the term that gets thrown around in Winnipeg about how this offense approaches games is bully ball. They've tried to physically dominate you from the start and then close it out with Oliveira in the fourth quarter. This guy's a Mariano Rivera-like closer. You give him the ball, that offensive line leans on you in the fourth quarter, and they chew the clock and close out games. They've done it time and time again to defenses when they know they're going to run the football. So I think Oliveira is continuing to help some of these Americans in the CFL who are in personnel decision-making positions understand that if Canadians are given a chance – fairly on an even playing field with an American that these guys can be just as good, if not better at the running back position. So this season played out kind of the way we expected. It was somewhat shock. CFL division standings, the exact same as they were last year. East and West finals, exact same as they were last year. And we were all set up for a rematch gray cup in Hamilton and the Alouettes spoiled the party at their first win against an upper echelon team as they were 0-7 against BC, Winnipeg, and Toronto in the regular season. Now they just got to go 2-0 against them. They got the one down. Can they get the second one down? Because I don't know what the experience has been like for you this week, but they keep receipts where you had them in the power rankings, what you said about them, what you didn't say about them. They uh, feel disrespected, and should they? I think they should. I think Cody Fajardo has a notebook for his game planning and film watching, and he's got another full notebook of all of what the media has said about him, how the Alouettes had no chance in training camp because they lost everybody. Trevor Harris went to Saskatchewan. Gino Lewis left to become the highest-paid non-quarterback in the league in Edmonton, over $300,000. And Darius Pickett went to Toronto, becomes the league's most outstanding defensive player. I think he's going to take it home that award on Thursday night. And everybody's like, oh, the Owls are going to suck. They're not going to do anything. But what has happened here, and full credit to my colleague at 3 Donation, John Hodge, for pointing this out, Donovan, because you and I should know this formula well. 2014, you and I were on the sidelines for the Vanier Cup at Percival Molson Stadium when the Montreal Cadabin won the Canadian University Football National Championship in what was honestly an ugly game, right? They blocked a last-second field goal for McMaster to win that game. But that is the formula that Montreal has employed this year, and especially down the stretch during the seven-game winning streak that has gone into the playoffs and gotten them to the Grey Cup. Play high-quality, 
stout defense, solid special teams, win in field position, and just don't have your offense mess the game up, essentially. Cody Fajardo has not been asked to do a whole heck of a lot for this team. The Owls last week had less than 200 total offensive yards and still put it on the Argos. Now, part of that was because Chad Kelly had a terrible game. He told us, the crew at 3 com on Wednesday night that he sustained a concussion during that game. That was according to Chad Kelly. That might explain his poor play and was the reason he said that he didn't shake hands with any of the Alouettes. But there is a formula there that Montreal has been using. And really that defense got boosted around midseason when Sean Lemon signed there, the outstanding pass rusher who has since become the 13th player in league history to record 100 sacks. He piled them up this season with Montreal. Lemon gets there and then goes and recruits a free agent, Darnell Sankey, who is a thumper in the middle and has become a very good linebacker in this league at Mike for this team and has helped solidify that defense under coordinator Nolthorpe. So instead of the Grey Cup, what you're saying is we're going to get a Dunsmore Cup like Laval, Montreal. Yeah, I hope not, bro. 69 <laughs> coming to the last seconds of needing a goal line stand. Because you mentioned that Caravan team led by Danny Machocha and Noel Thorpe. And Noel Thorpe led that defense. And really the performance against the Argos was, was almost anti Northorp. It wasn't bringing a lot of pressure. It was we think we could get home with four or even three going to make you throw into a thousand people at the second level and we're going to take the ball from you it'll be interesting to see if they can stay uh, that patient because if that's the case and you give winnipeg those run looks they're just going to run it seven times down the field and score so that part is fascinating but we mentioned the caravan and machosha and that program's still in a good spot montreal looking to win a double win the vanier cup potentially and the gray cup as the caravan play uh, in the U-Sports semis this week. But I, I, I want to end the conversation there with some U-Sports love for the two GMs, Kyle Walters and Danny Machocha, two Canadian GMs who have built their roster, if you look at it, strength off of Canadians and really strength off the draft. If other CFL teams could be looking at this game and learning something what do you think they, they would look to from the blueprint? I mean, I know what Riders fans would say. They would say, why do all the people that we cast aside eventually just go into the Great Cup with other people? Caleros gone. He's, he, all he does is win Great Cups. <laughs> Moss, Fajardo gone. They're already in the Great Cup. Like, why, why not us? Why can't we have nice things? But, but in terms of the roster building of, of these two teams led by Canadians, w- w- before I let you go, what sticks out to you? It sticks out to me that both of these teams are very tough on the lines, both offensively and defensively, especially Winnipeg. They built depth on that offensive line to be able to sustain guys like Drew Desjardins leaving for the NFL and then going sign with the Ottawa Red Blacks and have other guys step up. But you mentioned Canadians. We talked about Canadian running backs. What stands out to me is these guys are understanding that Canadians at the, quote, skilled positions – can be difference makers. We talked about Brady Oliveira. We did not talk about Nick Dembski, who, oh, by the way, went to that same high school as Brady Oliveira and Andrew Harris. And Oliveira and Dembski became the first pair of Canadian teammates to go over 1,000 yards rushing and 1,000 yards receiving, respectively, in the same season. Then you look at the Montreal Alouettes. Jess Ron Antwi is a running back on the roster. He's not the starter. It's William Sandback. 
but he's had an impact on this team. Tyson Philpot has been a standout since they drafted him high. So I think that is what I take away most from these guys, is that they understand the talent, especially in U sports, but also in the NCAA, that are Canadians, that can come in and make a legitimate impact and be difference makers at the skill positions. I love it, Dunk. Normally I would ask you for a pick. I'm not going to do this this week because if you pick against the Bombers, their fans will fight you. If you pick against the Owls, their players will fight you. And I don't want you to have those problems. So enjoy Grey Cup Week and enjoy all the coverage that you're doing, both for us here at Sportsnet and for 3 Down Nation. Thanks, man. I appreciate you looking out for my well-being and not forcing me into a pick. Thanks so much to Justin Dunk. You can find him on X at jdunk12. Give also his site a follow at 3downnation where you can find his work breaking down all levels of the CFL game. And as I mentioned before, he is doing some work as well for the Believe Network. And it is the way it sounds, B-L-E-A-V Network. You can find them on Twitter, on Instagram as well. Can J-Dunk12, J-Dunk underscore 12 is his handle on IG if you want to see all of his fits as well. We're going to take a break and we're going to talk to another legendary name in Canadian football, not only a U sports star and quite frankly, on one of the best U sports teams ever assembled in the Ottawa GGs, but also he was a member of one of the best CFL teams ever assembled in the Edmonton Eskimos. We thought this year's Argos was going to give them a run. That did not happen as they were 16 and two and didn't make it to the big game, but I'll, I'll get his perspective on, not only that, but the host city, Hamilton. And really, it's it's Hamilton, it's Burlington, it's Niagara, it's the entire region hosting this Grey Cup game. What that means for the city locally and what we can expect from the Hammer, who's hosting their second Grey Cup in the last three years. Stay tuned. Neil Lumsden coming up. My name is Lucille Bryan. I'm Clifton Bryan. My grandson is a show. And I'm so happy that you are listening to Gondi with Donovan Bennett. I'm so glad that he had a show. Thank you. Thanks so much, Grandma and Granddad. They will, like many people, not only be tuned to their television sets throughout the week, consuming Grey Cup coverage, they're also going to get out and go to Grey Cup festivals and be a part of the festivities and whether it's the parties at night. And if you don't know, every CFL fan base has a party at the Grey Cup Festival throughout the week. Even the Atlantic Schooners, the fan base that is not yet given a team. We have to rectify that and get football in the Maritimes. They also have a kitchen party this week, which is outstanding. Also, Calgary Stampeders got pancake breakfast, which is a staple at Grey Cup week. But... Grey Cup is in Hamilton, and every year the Grey Cup takes on the persona of the city that hosts it, and I suspect that'll be the case this year once again. They hosted it not last year, but the year before, but we were still in the height of COVID, so it was, dare I say, a muted Grey Cup. I think this one is going to be loud and proud. And to find out what it means for the city, we talked to Neil Lumsden, or should I say the Honorable Neil Lumsden, Minister of Tourism, Culture, and Sport, 
who's going to talk about what Grey Cup means to the city of Hamilton, to the region, to the province of Ontario, and to the country, quite frankly. Let's go deep. So, so good to be joined by the Honourable Minister Lumsden. And it, you know what? It, I'm trying to think of someone who has more experience with the various cups that we give out around this time of year in Canadian football, and I'd be hard-pressed to come up with them. I mean, you, you've, you've won them, uh, but certainly you've been around them as a fan, as a broadcaster, and certainly now in a different capacity in your role uh, as a minister. But you know as well as I do that the Grey Cup is a huge, big piece of Canadiana and the culture of our country. When you think of Grey Cup Week and its importance, what comes to mind? Wow. Um, well, first off, it's it's great to be uh, with you again. And, uh, you know, I know your career and I watched you as a player. Actually, I think I may have covered you when I was doing CH uh, and very interested. In, and you were a, a very impactful player, even even though it was at Western. Uh, but uh, but I that's a great question. I For, for me, it's a really I was thinking about this last night, Donovan, and actually driving back from Toronto and um, having talked to people because so much going on in it, for me, it's really layers now that I now peel back and the, these events, the ones that I've been to so far, one this morning, uh, you know, the kids race to start the great cup off with downtown by Gage park. And then seeing some of the retired players that have only been out, you know, like a few years and thinking, I, oh, geez, I remember when I just finished playing and what I was doing. And then it may, takes me back to, I remember going to Grey Cups and then I flashed to ahead to say, well, I was as GM and CEO of the Tire Cats going to a Grey Cup and my only sad experience around championships was the first year in 98 when we went and we lost. I think the game was being paid and played in Winnipeg and I felt so bad for the players because I knew how much it meant to me as a player when I was given the opportunity and how much emotion and work it goes into it. And then fortunately in 1999, um, under the leadership of Ron Lancaster and McManus and Flutie and uh, God, Hitchcock and Morello, there's a whole bunch of them. Uh, we won it in 99 and thinking, standing on the sidelines and feeling um, almost father-like in some ways to say, yeah, you guys need to enjoy this because it'll never be the same from that point on. Because it isn't. You know this as well as anybody. The group is never the same as it is when you when you walk off that field after lifting a trophy, especially the Grey Cup. So I, I find it in, in some ways so it kind of emotional at times, more so when I'm by myself and thinking about it, but just uplifting because of what, what, you know, what this game does and it brings people together from across the country. And yeah, it's pretty special. I mean, when people, when people get involved with it and then at the end of it go, man, this was something. Yeah, it was. And then there's a game. So, you know, there's, uh, I have, I have, I have mixed feelings, all of them good, uh, about what this means to me. Well, when the game bounces around to different areas, it often takes on the personality of that region for that week, even though the entire country, as you mentioned, comes in Hamilton had it a couple of years ago, but we were in a much different place, clearly, you know, due to COVID. Oh, what can people expect uh, in and around the game, uh, in the Grey Cup Week Festival uh, this time around? 
Well, it's, it's funny because uh, the first thing that comes to my mind the last time the Great Cup, because I went to it, was part of it as a fan and, and showing up to the spirit of Edmonton and having been there before and uh, and going to a bar downtown where there was a maximum capacity of 250. Everybody had masks on. And typically spirit of Edmonton starts either, I think it's typically Thursday nights in some massive ballroom where they put thousands and thousands of people through. And it's all about CFL football and camaraderie as a fan base. So, you know, I, I look at that and think, well, Tiger town's going to be going on. Uh, spirit of Edmonton's happening. You know, they've got uh, everyday fan central down on James street starting today, Thursday, uh, between 11 a.m. and 8 p.m., I think it is, and that'll go through. And they've 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 blocked the street off. And if you're familiar with Hamilton, it's going to be like a it is a fan fest. And I think what Hamilton Sports Group and the Tire Cats have done have said, okay, we know what the game can stand on its own and has for many many years, but let's do something around it to uh, elevate every piece of it, not only the community around us within you know 20 30 miles or even longer but you know i'm on my way to niagara falls for a comp sport tourism conference and then the awards tonight we're really very regional this time around and i think that that sets an interesting bar for everybody else donovan moving forward you talk about that bar moving forward and you know how the game and the week has changed how has tourism around live event in sport changed it's one of the the many things that is under your purview um but the culture of our country is we like to go out and see different parts uh, of the country in what ways are you seeing different trends around canadians wanting to create trips and moments and memories from big sporting events what well, you um you, you sound just like how I think when you say create memories. And for me, it's a lot about the experiences. And one of the, one of the first really, I won't call it a metamorphosis, but what really made me f- identify that was being part of the world cycling in, t- in 2003. Um, and, you know, it's an international event. People came from everywhere. The weather was tremendous. The television audience was huge. And I've had people still talk to me about having come to Hamilton to volunteer from all parts of Ontario thinking, well, I didn't know you guys had these waterfalls. And I didn't know it was like this in the fall. And the golf courses and the walking trails, it's an introduction. It's a chance to introduce sport is when you host a sport people to something they might not have, or they may have normally driven by. And, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of groups in the tourism leadership across our province. And the one thing I always say is if we could just get everyone to stay one more day, if we can, and there's so much to do or better yet, I couldn't get it all in. I need to come back. Whether it's the Kingston area, whether it's Niagara Falls, whether it's up North, uh, Manitoulin Island, who I took, where I took a trip early in my, in my role and, and went, wow, this is special. Uh, the indigenous community, the culture around their food and presentation, their history, people need to know that. And when they start realizing it's there, they come in droves and there's other, there's reasons to come back. I mean, human nature, at least I think is 
That's why people join golf courses because they find a course they like and they want to play it over and over again because it's always a little bit different. And that's the same in tourism. You can go to the same spot, but always find another couple of nuggets that bring you back. And it's the people, typically. It's the community and how they rally around, whether it's a festival or a sporting event. Uh, that's the romantic part of this ministry, I think. And then you also mentioned culture, which I think is really important. And that's how people handle and treat each other and how they look at things. Um, and you know how important you know how important that is in sport, especially for those that are successful in it. Having a great culture in a team is is vital, and it's the same in tourism. When that community uh, allows themselves to open up and welcome people in, people will come back. And there's so much to the tourism opportunity in this province; it's incredible. And you know, just uh, and I'm learning, and I'm learning more about it because I get a chance to visit places that I never had a chance to before, like early on, as I mentioned, Manitoulin Island, which was just spectacular. People like to fish and hunt. I mean, you got to get up there. It's crazy good. Well, I'm going to ask you to put your public service and politic hat on because there are so many different things that need resource and funding, but specifically these big events, these games don't happen without infrastructure, without resource, without investment. If you were making the argument to someone who either maybe is across the aisle on an issue or someone who's somewhat neutral as to what the importance is from a provincial and federal level in investing in sport infrastructure to be able to host big events consistently, what would you say? What's the tangible impact for the individual Canadian and for the country at large? Well, a lot sticks, Donovan, and and it's whether it's developing new infrastructure, which is you know it's a big spend, and federally people or the federal government participates in large events. But the other side of it is you can't overspend what the opportunity is. So that have, the business case has to be very solid, no matter what it is. But it maybe it's retrofitting and old uh, existing opportunities with respect to infrastructure, and then allowing that to be the location or a destination. Uh, I think that, you know, I, I've noticed that, you know, you, you know, Olympic Games are are going back to places they were before because it is so expensive to build new all the time. And what is the ultimate end game at that? And if it's a, a big stadium that's only going to host so many events a year, oh, well, okay, if that's what the government in that place wants, then so be it. But for the local community, I see so many things that a retrofit or refurbish of an arena, even in a local community, to host hockey tournaments, the local hockey tournaments that come in and for four days. That's really important to the community. It's important to the culture of the community, and it's important to driving business into that community. That's why hockey associations or football say, let's play the championship here, because they know it draws people. The Vanier Cup's going to, as you know, it's going to Kingston next weekend. I'm going to be there. Kingston is rolling out the carpet. They've done a great job. Thanks to a benefactor, and you know, I think you know who it is, that stadium at Queens is, is ready to host a national championship. Well, I think that the business case for, all, for everything has to be examined so it's not running out willy-nilly and saying, if we build this, they'll come. No, no. It has to be much more strategic. You start there, and then you work towards the goal. 
And if it fits, great. If it doesn't, then take a turn and find another way. Talk about multi-use of stadiums, and I wonder where your mind goes in terms of multi-use for opportunity. There was a period of time when the Vanier Cup and the Grey Cup were together. That's not the case now. That works better in some cities than others. Many passionate people involved at both levels of the sport have made, to me, very compelling arguments uh, on either side. And I wonder, given your experience at both levels, but also your experience now uh, in the role and knowing what these sorts of events entail, I wonder what your educated opinion is on uh, the Vanier and the Grey Cup being together or being separate. In, in this case, being separate both by location, but also by date. Right. I think it, I think you hit it when you said it depends on where, and, and it depends on the community. Could a Hamilton versus um, a BC place. And I think may, wasn't that the last time they did, they were together. Was it BC place? I remember um, maybe, maybe not. I don't Mac- I think the year after it was in Toronto at the, the former Skydome. Uh, but, but yes. Yeah. I think that sometimes it fits. Sometimes it doesn't. I mean, I, I believe that the Vanier should be able to stand on its own and not not be considered the residual. Well, they're having it there because people are coming. Uh, I think that I think then we have to drill down Donovan to a another not issue, but another challenge of let's start letting people know how great the, the football is at the college level, university level, sorry, in Canada, that the Vanier Cup can stand on its own. It has before it can again. But we've got to sell the game. We've got to get people interested in the game, which means you got to drop down even further and make sure people are playing the game in a safe way. And, and high schools are not dropping football, but they're engaging in football again. And, and rep football is growing. It's not disappearing. People, you know, those are the sorts of things and the groundswell that ultimately will, will pack a stadium for a Vanier Cup to make an assumption that you have to rely on, well, geez, we, I really hope our team is in it then we'll get more fans no it's it's a little bit like you know the comparison to what the great cup has become and has been for years people come because they love the game i mean edmonton fans aren't in this game edmonton is in this game but there will be a whole bunch of people that travel from edmonton and calgary and bc and regina and across this country because of what it has to offer not necessarily who's playing and that's where the Vanier Cup's got to get to. And it is, slowly but surely. It, is, it takes a lot of work. And lastly, before I let you go, I need to tap into uh, your broadcaster hat and your football analysis expertise. Uh, what do you make of the game that we're going to see? We have really the closest thing to uh, the Eskimos, to the Edmonton dynasty that you were a part of in, in Winnipeg and Zach Claros being here four consecutive uh, Grey Cups and missed a year, obviously, because of the year that didn't happen because of COVID. We understand how difficult it is to have a great team uh, run through the regular season and get here. This 16-2 Argos that matched this 16-2 Edmonton squad weren't able to get here. Uh, And we have a a Montreal team, which I find fascinating. Both teams led by uh, Canadian general managers um, get here off the back of great Canadian uh, players, when you look at this game, uh, what sticks out to you in terms of what you expect to see on Sunday? 
I, I think it's a very interesting matchup. I think there's one that you're expected to be there just based on the coaching staff, uh, the ability to find great talent and that talent that they stick with. They make very few changes. Now, you know, I'm referring to Winnipeg, to a, a franchise that is, I won't say building, but certainly still have found puzzle parts in Montreal. Uh, Cody Fajaro is, has done a great job. Uh, people don't see him as that star quarterback in my mind, but he seems to have other tools or other arrows in his quiver that he's been able to fire off to elevate them offensively, which has been key. Winnipeg is just, you know, I'm, I have been forever a huge fan of Mike O'Shea, that group, uh, Ted Gavaya and Danny McManus from a scouting perspective. You've talked about the, the two general managers being there, which is, I think is very interesting too, um, and have great Canadian talent. You don't win without that. You just, it just doesn't happen. And I think that, and then you throw it in the mix and you hope your coach can, your coaches can pull it all together. I, you know, to me, it comes down to, and I've said this before, and this only comes from as a coach for a bunch of years and as a player that you have to find a way to take something away from an opponent um, and put them on their heels to struggle to be successful when it comes to offense. And on defense, you have to exploit weaknesses if you can find them or create a weakness. Even with good players, you can find weaknesses and cracks. So whoever does the best job of that and then at the end of the day, execute what you're trying to do in the first half and in the second half because it can change. So I think, you know, who has the most experience of that? Winnipeg. Um, I think most people are leaning to the peg. I can, I, I can kind of understand that, but there's something going on with this Montreal franchise that if I'm in Winnipeg, I'd be worried about. So it, it's going to be very interesting and, you know, a lot of great football to be played on Sunday, and I can't wait to watch it. Nor can I. can't wait to take part of all of the festivities happening in the region, and you talk about the great Canadian talent we're going to see on the field. What I love about this week is it exposes the great Canadian talent at all levels, whether it's the musicians, whether it's the people in the live events and marketing side of things, whether it's the volunteers, quite frankly, that make sure all of these events go off that hitch, or in your case, whether it's the people in public service. And so thank you uh, for that service, and thank you for spending some time getting us hyped up for what's supposed to be an outstanding week celebrating the 110th Great Cup and celebrating our country. Uh, I agree with you. I hope, uh, again, it's great to be with you, and I hope I get a chance to see you on the weekend. Thank you to Neil Lumsden, to Justin Duncan. Thank you for listening. On behalf of me and show, it means a lot to us. Please like, favorite, share, and subscribe. Enjoy the games at all levels of football this week. We've got some more really good episodes coming for you, so stay tuned to the feed if you are listening to this via podcast because they are coming fast and furious and if you're not if you're listening to it across the sports and radio network make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you get it on your phone as soon as it's ready take care